as I think about Palm Sunday and I'm thinking, man, what can we learn from this? If you grew up in church, maybe you grew up in Sunday school and you did the lessons uh, for Palm Sunday where they had the palm branches and you'd make it out of paper, sometimes the real ones and and uh, uh, Jesus riding on a donkey. And, and you've heard the story m- many, many times, especially for those who uh, even just go to church around Christmas and Easter. These are very familiar stories. And, 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 but, but my question for us, including myself, is what can we learn from this today for us in this day and time? So all four gospel writers, um, the guys who wrote the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all include this story. And the interesting thing is that each of them includes a story from an eyewitness perspective. This isn't just, you know, ah, let's write a story. These are people who saw what happened. Matthew was there. Um, Mark, he may, not, he may have been there. We're not totally sure. But we know that Mark got most of his information from Peter. And he was just the one who wrote it down. We know Peter was there. You know, uh, Luke, we don't, Luke wasn't there specifically. But he went and found all the eyewitnesses he could find and said, tell me the story so I can give an accurate account of this. Uh, and John, well, John was right there. And the interesting thing is by having four accounts of something that happened, you have four different perspectives and they each add some different details. And some of that we want to look at this morning because it matters for us. It matters for us. But it's more than just hearing a story. Uh, I, can you just do something with me? Can you just picture what it would have been like to be there if, if you were there outside the, the city gates of Jerusalem? You know, as, as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, it's, he's from a small town going to the big city. It's like us from Nanticoke going to Toronto. It's like, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, hustle and bustle going on. But can you picture if you were there, you know, Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem uh, and he had, he had done a, a lot of cool things outside of Jerusalem. He had fed 5,000 people. And so maybe there was people saying, wow, you know, Jesus is coming. Maybe he's bringing free food again. Uh, he was healing all kinds of people. Maybe they thought, oh, you know, if Jesus can heal them, maybe he can heal me. You know, he was inviting anyone and everyone to follow him. It didn't matter if you were a good person. It didn't matter who you were. He was saying, hey, would you come follow me? Life is better if you'll come follow me. He brought good news and good stories. And so people flocked around him. And just a few miles away from Jerusalem, uh, and just a few days earlier, he'd actually raised a man from the dead, a man named Lazarus. And so people were flocking around to see, can we, can we get a glimpse of this guy who was dead and is now raised from the dead, this man named Lazarus? And, and, and my thought is, if we were there, you know, maybe we'd have heard the people in the crowd saying, wow, if he could have done, if he did that for all those people, well, what can, what can he do for me? What could he do for me? And the crowd was growing. It just kept growing larger as Jesus got closer. And, and, and the, pe- the people around, they could hear the shouts. John tells us what they were shouting. He was saying, praise God, hail to the king. Hail to the king of Israel. It'd be something similar to this, but just magnify that by hundreds of people and hundreds of palm branches. And they see the palm branches. And maybe if you're there, you grab one as well. Like a crowd attracts a crowd. I, I don't know what's going on, but it looks like fun. And they begin to wave the palm branches. And Matthew tells us, in verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 10, he writes, all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. And we're saying that he doesn't mean like every single person, but so many people in Jerusalem were all about this event that it felt like everyone was involved. All of Jerusalem's in an uproar because Jesus is on the way. And you know, they're excited. They're excited. God's going to do something for us. Finally, God is going to do something for us. He's going to set us free from this Roman tyranny and oppression. And they see the crowd coming. They hear it's Jesus. And then as he gets closer, they see him. And the people around look and they're like, wait a second. Like, I think that's him. You know, the, the guy a little taller than the rest. What, what's he riding on? Like, what? He's riding on a donkey? Like, 
why is the king, why is our savior riding on a donkey? No self-respecting man or king rides in on a donkey. Shouldn't he be on a big white steed? But no, here he comes in on a donkey and they begin like, ah, I don't know if this is the kind of savior that we need, but they follow along anyways. And they head to the temple and all of a sudden Jesus gets to the temple and he's upset by what's going on there because it was no, it was just religious traditions and rules and people using God's word to use people. And he gets upset on the inside because that's not what it was ever meant to be about. And he begins to flip tables and the crowd's like, oh, well, this is the kind of, man, this looks more like the kind of leader we need. Hey, Jesus, when you're done busting up these guys, would you would you take some of that energy out on the, on the Romans? If you can do this, we know you can do that. And they're like, yeah. And then they find out that Jesus didn't actually move on to taking out Romans at all. He, uh, he, he simply began talking with people. And all of a sudden, this military, this military movement that wasn't happening, you find a few days later, it's the same people that had cheered and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, hail to our king, were the same people who began shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. You know, it's interesting when you think about it, that, you know, God wasn't working in the way they thought he was working. And so then they felt they no longer had a need for him. It was almost like, it was almost like they had put God in a box and they couldn't see God working outside of their box. And, you know, I think, it's like this, that that thought of, you know, this is how God works. And if God's not working that way, well, then it's probably not him. And it actually reminded me of a couple things. It reminded me of a couple things I thought about this idea of God being in a box. There's a guy named Mark Gunger. He does relational series. And maybe you're at home, you know, you're... I won't say stuck at home with your spouse, but maybe you feel like that through this, um, through this whole quarantine um, uh, movement. But uh, maybe check out Mark Unger's Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. Uh, he talks about some things like this. The idea that men's brains and women's brains are different you know, women's brains, everything's connected to everything. You know, you start talking about the kids, but that leads to your job. And then that leads to the mother-in-law and everything's connected. For men, he says, and it's just a little bit of a stereotype, but it does ring true that for men, it's, it's much different. Their brain is like a whole bunch of little boxes. It's like, they got a box, you know, they got, they've got all kinds of boxes. They got a box, you know, for, for, uh, for their sports. They got a box, you know, for, uh, they're hunting and fishing. They got a box for, for you because you're the light of their life. They got a box for their, for their feelings. It's kind of little. They put that somewhere in the bottom. They got a box for the kids. They got a box for, you know, their COVID-19 thoughts and fears. They got a box for your mom somewhere down, well, somewhere hidden in the back. They got all these boxes. And, and the idea is, you know, they said with these boxes is that when men want to talk about stuff, they talk about one box and then they make sure that that box doesn't touch any other boxes. So if we're going to talk about your mother-in-law, it's going to be a real short conversation, but then we're going to put that box away and make sure we don't touch any other boxes. And when you hear that, that thought, for me, it reminds me of, of a lot of what I would say North American Christians today, that the whole idea of their life is that it's about boxes and they've got, they've got boxes in their life that matter. And then they got that one box that they got they got for God. This idea that, this idea that God is uh, a box, a part of their life. He's one of the boxes in their lives. And maybe that started just way back with how people decided to follow God. Maybe you were a kid at camp, uh, you know, or you said a you said a prayer somewhere, and like, okay, Jesus, I accept you into my heart. You know, okay, God, 
I'll, I'll take you as I'll, I'll, maybe you're in, in middle school, high school. God, I'll take you into my I'll take you into my life as part of my life. I'll be a, a Christian. And we, we have this space for him in our lives. And a lot of times it was Sunday mornings at church. And it was like anytime God um, uh, was messing with any of your other boxes, like, no, no, God, you stay kind of in, in there. Somebody at work wants to talk about God. Well, no, no, that's, it's not that time for that box. God belongs in this, in this, other, in this other place. And, and I know that maybe you're here and you're like a non-church person watching. You're like, I, I believe you probably have a place for God too. And it's like, God, well, I don't really need him right now. And he sits up on a shelf until things like COVID happen. And then all of a sudden it's like, where's, where's the God box? You know, uh, maybe I should start praying. Maybe, and for a lot of Christians who kind of their whole, their whole Christianity has been about this time and this space, it's like, oh man, I got to find the God box right now. It's, it's kind of important. And I feel like what people have often done in, in North American Christianity is treated it more like kind of like trinket Christianity, where it's like the charm bracelet. We got a whole bunch of stuff going on, and somewhere in there is the little is the little cross charm. Can you find it? It's kind of tough to see, you know, because there's so much other things going on. It's just kind of a little part, and we kind of our our prayer is is either one sided. God, I need you to do this for me. God, I need you to do this for me. It's kind of like almost like our genie in a bottle, where we're like, you know, if I if I pray the right prayer and if I say the right words, well, then God's going to have to do this for me, uh, or prayer becomes non-existent in our lives, this actual connection with our Heavenly Father just, just isn't there. And, and I think that that's what Christianity has devolved to in North America. And in times like this, it gets revealed that that's all that it is for many. But let me leave you with this thought this morning, is that that type of Christianity, that type of faith, that, that type of, of um, uh, trust in God will not sustain you through times like this. It won't be enough I was reminded of the Old Testament story because people have been like this for a long time. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 4, it talks about this idea of people having God in a box. Um, and maybe you're like, well, why are we reading Old Testament stories, you know, Old Testament Jewish stories? Um, Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 15 verse 4, and he said again to the Corinthians, you can look it up, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He said to them, he says, those old stories, those old things, they were written for our, um, for our uh, instruction, for our example. So it's not that we're going to say this is how we have to live our lives. but Man, we can sure learn a lot from them. And the story goes like this. You can look it up later in 1 Samuel 4 if you have some time. But the children of Israel, God's people, are in a battle with the Philistines, an enemy that, that hates them and they hate them. And uh, they, they're in this battle and they lose badly. They lose like a thousand men. And they come back to camp kind of with their tail between their legs and like, what's going on? They're, they're not used to losing. They've, they've conquered all these countries and all this land. God's been on their side. They're, they're not used to losing. And now all of a sudden they're experiencing loss and they're like, what happened? Where's God? Where's, we, why isn't God delivering us? And then one of them has this thought and said, well, we got to go get God. And they're like, where is he? And he's like, well, God's, he's in the box in the tabernacle. And they had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, which is what was the, the representation of the presence of God. And so a couple of guys, they ran to the tabernacle and they got the priest and said, hey, bring, bring God to the battle. We, we're losing. And so they get God in their box and they bring him to the battle. And it says this in the story that as, as they, they bring this box into the camp, the Israelite warriors go crazy. They are like, yes, we've we're good now. We got God. We got God with us. We got God in our box and we're good to go. And they're so excited. They cheer so loud. The enemy across the, across the way hears them. 
And the enemy hears them and they're like, what's going on? They're like, they got God in their camp now. We're doomed. This is the warriors. Uh, they said amongst themselves, man, we better fight. Like there's, there's no tomorrow because if we don't, there will be no tomorrow. And so they fought the next day with everything they had. And guess what? The Israelites went in thinking, we got God in a box. We've got our trinket God with us. We're going to be fine. They got slaughtered. They lost a couple thousand the first day. They lost 30,000 men the second day, and they lost their box. The Philistine armies took, killed their priests and took their box. And, you know, what does that story mean for us today? I see so many people that, that God is like a box in their life. It's like they treat him like the trinket, the trinket box. This is, you know, when I need him, God, then I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. But there's a, you know, it's, this has kind of been there. Christianity, you go to church on Sundays and whatever, and then something like COVID happens. There's change and there's stress and there's, there's isolation and there's, there's uh, the removal of some freedom. And all of a sudden the response is, is fear and anxiety and worry and more stress and depression. And it's like, oh no, oh no, you know, where's the God box now? And prayer is like, God, what, what have you done for me lately? God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And then when some of those prayers don't get answered the way you thought that they would, it's like, well, I don't even know if this is real anymore. People saying, ah, you know, I don't know if I need that Christianity anymore. And you know what? Part of me is happy because that part of Christianity is not something that you need. That idea that God being in a box, a part of your life, that, that's, not, that's not what this thing was ever meant to be. And it, that kind of Christianity won't sustain you in times like this. You know, what's interesting is our medical profession right now, the professionals, they're, they're looking for a vaccine for COVID-19. And, uh, you know, I was reminded of something from years ago where uh, just learning about vaccines, and I went on the public health uh, site for Canada, and they talked about vaccinations, and they said uh, and for certain vaccinations, the way they create them is they take a virus, a live virus, they boil it and, or heat it till it dies, and then they take those dead cells, and they put those dead cells into a living person. And what happens is your antibodies recognize these dead cells and they start to begin building antibodies against that. So when the live version comes in, it, they end up fighting against it. And that's how certain vaccines are made. But I feel like for a lot of people, they've actually just been vaccinated against um, real genuine faith in Christ. They've had a, a faith vaccination. What do I mean by that? They've experienced sort of dead, dry, uh, lifeless religion. They went to church. They did Christian stuff, but they never experienced Jesus. And now it's almost like they get to the place where it's like, oh, something like this happens. And like, oh, their church and the, the prayers they memorize and some of these things just aren't actually working. They're not actually bringing peace. They're not actually alive. Paul wrote to Timothy and said to him, Timothy, there's going to be people like that. He described them like this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5. He says, Tim, they're going to act religious. They're going to act religious but they're going to reject the power that can actually make them godly and stay away from people like that. He's like, there's going to be, there's going to be this sense of, oh, we're religious people, but they don't have any power. They don't have any power. You know, as we go back to the story of Palm Sunday, Luke actually tells us that that's the reason why Jesus was weeping as he went into Jerusalem. Luke 19, verse 41, he says this, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Jesus began to weep, and here's why. He said, how I wish today that you, you of all people around Jerusalem, that you would understand the way to peace, that you would understand the way to peace. That thought of, wow, you guys have all your religious traditions. You have your holy scriptures. You've got the temple. You've got all of these things. 
these scriptures that prophesy that a savior is coming and now he's here and you're blind to him. You've missed the way to peace and, and he, he's weeping as it happens. Why? Because he'd make it clear to his disciples later and to us that there was no way we could miss it. As he said to them, John 14, he says, I am the way. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The way to the father was walking or was riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and they missed it. Have we done the same? He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to the heavenly Father. There's no other way to peace except through Jesus. He is the way. And so John tells us what Jesus told his followers after he arrived in Jerusalem. As he rode in, after he messed up the whole temple. This is what happens. He says in John 12, verse 25, Jesus begins talking to people in this crowd. He says says to a couple of them, he says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Man, that is one way to get a crowd to leave. He's like, hey man, everybody who loves life here, well, you're all going to lose it. What does he mean by that? Because those words are powerful for us today. He's basically saying, hey, if you try and hold on to your life, if you think that you can control how long you live and all of that kind of stuff, he says, you're going to lose it. Basically, the thought is this, everyone dies. Everyone loses their life. 10 out of 10 people die, and we don't know the day when that's going to happen. He's like, those who try to hold on to it, those who try to control it in life, there's, what's the point? Because you are going to lose it. It's almost, you know, I pictured it like this. It's almost like those who are trying to control all the boxes or, or like the guys who try and carry all the groceries from this, um, into, the, into the house at one time. I thought I was kind of the only one who did that until I saw some of these pictures of people who do the same thing. And I remember as a kid trying to carry everything in at one time and, and a, a, a jar of spaghetti sauce falls off and smashes on the, on the garage floor simply because you can't, there's no way to manage it all. You know, it's Jesus is saying people who try and hold on to everything in this life, trying to hold on to everything in this life, they're going to lose it. You know, the, <laughs> I was reading last week, there's a secondary pandemic coming after this COVID-19. And you know what it is? They say there's going to be a secondary pandemic of mental health issues, of anxiety, of worry, of depression, suicidal stuff that's coming as a result of things being taken away. Because for so many right now, the boxes in their life that they're trying to control, my job, my mortgage, my house, my family, my relationships, all of the stuff that I'm, I think I'm in control of is all now being taken away. And for many of them, there's nothing left after that's gone. And then in those moments, it's like, well, what do I do now? And for many, the solution for them is, well, I'll just add another box. You know, that thought of, well, I'm not, and we do it not just in this situation, but in lots of them, people are upset and not happy. It's like, what do I do? Well, I'll just add another, maybe if I date that girl, add another relationship or, hey, you know, we're not happy in our marriage. Maybe if we have another kid, that'll make us happier and we try and add that. Or maybe you simply go on Amazon and think, hey, if I just buy another box, you know, it's even got a smile on it. This is going to do it for me. Until you find out just a few weeks later that, you know, the box was really upside down. It didn't bring the happiness that you had hoped it would bring. All it did was bring another box to manage. And for some, they begin to self-medicate. They begin to put, uh, you know, find ways to, to um, make their own lives better. And it often leads to things that are just bigger traps, alcohol, drugs. Do you know the beer stores right now are the best business to be in? They say they're the ones that are just selling out of product other than toilet paper. Beer is the next best thing. Uh, Why? Because people are are in the spot of where am I going to find some happiness and where am I going to find some joy? Where am I going to find some peace? And is there, is there a solution that actually brings peace? 
Is there a solution that actually brings peace? Jesus says in the next words, he says, those who care nothing for their life in this world, they're the ones who will keep it for eternity. It doesn't mean that they don't care about their lives, that they're, they say, oh, I just want to die. That's, that's not it at all. He says, those who don't focus on what's everything about here, he says, those are the ones who realize and they'll keep their lives for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, he says, must follow me, must trust me. He says, because my servants must be where I am. And he begins to let them know that it's not all about here. There is something else ahead of us yet. And he says, the father will honor anyone who serves me. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. And to the Jesus followers this morning, to be reminded of that, the bigger picture. Uh, and the question for you this morning is this, what are, what are you trying to um, hold on to in this life? What are you really trying to control? Which of these boxes is you like, man, this is, you know, I'm trying to control all my relationships. I'm trying to control my emotions. I'm trying to control, you know, my job. You know, how am I, how am I going to make more money? How am I not going to uh, lose my house? I'm going to not lose stuff. It's like, I got to hold on to all of these things. You know, to the Jesus followers, I want to encourage you this morning to, uh, to, to remember to hold on to a few different things. Because the things that can be taken away from us, we don't control that. But we do have the opportunity to hold on to things like hope, to hold on to things like joy, to hold on to peace, to hold on to love, to hold on to truth, and to hold on to life. And when I mention those things, it's actually holding on to just one box. It's holding on to one box alone. Because, you know, all of these things describe God. In his word, he writes that he's the hope of the world. James said, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials like this. God's working in you, developing patience and character, and that trust in him just grows strong. You'll find out how, how strong the trust is and how good your God is. You know, he's the prince of peace. Jesus said, I'm the way. He said, I'm truth. I am the life. John wrote that God is love. He said, saying, hey, hold on to that one box and you'll find peace. You know, it's, it's one step bigger than that because there are all these other things that we care about. What do we do with those? The idea was that we would take all the boxes we think we can control, you know, say, hey, God, I put my job, I, I put that in this box. God, <laughs> my family, my kids, I, I put that in this box. God, my, my health, this whole COVID thing, God, I'm just going to put that in this box as well. You know, my, my cares about tomorrow, I, I'm going to put that in, in, in this box. God, my, my sorrow and my, my grief and my, my tears, God, I'm putting... I'm putting that all in this box. I'm putting my whole life in this box. This is no longer a box, but God, my life, it's in your hands. God, I, I trust you with it. My question this morning for you is, would you be able to say with Paul, who wrote into the Romans in Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, he said this, I'm convinced. He's convinced, are you? He's like, I'm convinced that neither death or that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. He says, neither death nor life, not angels, not demons, not COVID-19. Okay, I added that part, but I think I can simply because he says uh, later on, he says this, neither our fears for today. Well, that's one of them for many. He says, not, not our worries about tomorrow. Well, that's one of them for many. He says, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, one thing I think about is this quote by Ralph Abernathy, a friend of Martin Luther King Jr., a guy who was uh, instrumental in, the, in, the, in stopping and ending the whole segregation movement of the South. His, his house got bombed. His, his church got uh, um, uh, vandalized. All kinds of things happened to him. When they asked him, you know, aren't you worried? He said this. He says, 
I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one who holds the future. I don't know what my future holds, but I know the one who holds the future. And you know, when Jesus followers who put their life in his hands, you can simply say the same thing. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who's holding my future. I don't know all these boxes in my life that I can't control. I don't know what's happening in that future, but I know the one who holds a future. And guess what happens? It brings incredible peace. It is the pathway to peace in our life. And so I just want to leave you with this question, whether you're a Jesus follower or not today, how do you want to do this part of the journey of life? How do you want to do this journey we call, we call life? And this morning, no one's asked, no one's forcing you. No one's um, condemning you or judging you. We're just simply asking you, you know, asking you this, this question. Do you want to keep God in that box as just kind of the one you run to and go to in times of need and find out that it just doesn't really work that way? Do you want to keep trying to juggle all the boxes yourself in life and try and make sure that you can kind of keep it all going and, and the stress and the worry and the anxiety that follows as you realize you really are not in control? Or do you want to simply put the boxes of your life into his hands? Trusting the goodness of God, convinced of the goodness of God that doesn't matter what happens, nothing's taking me out of his hands. Nothing's getting me away from his love. Maybe for you this morning, it's simply this, a prayer, God, (laughs) I'm sorry. Because for a long time, I've treated you just like a box in my life. It kind of went to when it was convenient for me. God, when you kind of messed with my relationships and morals and choices and everything. I was like, nah, you know what? You just stay in your box. I got this part. God, I'm sorry for treating you that way. God, today, I put my life into your hands. God, I I trust it all to you. Thank you that you're a good heavenly father and that I can trust you with it all. Promise you, you get to that point, (laughs) you will find the strength of faith, and you'll find the peace that passes human understanding, but it's real on the inside. So I leave you with this this last thought. Jesus said, you know, come follow me. You'll find the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, it's not religion. It's not any of those rules and traditions where you go to church or at church at all. It's that idea of having a real relationship with your heavenly father where you know him and trust him with it all. Humbly saying, (laughs) God, I'm broken and I can't fix myself. So I put my life in your hands. You know, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John had the opportunity to see into a vision of what the future was going to be like. The future yet for us to come. The bigger picture. And you know what I find from this? Is we're going to get through COVID-19. And we're going to get through all of the struggles that we face in our life. The thing is, we may not get through them uh, alive. But we are going to get through them. And here's, here's the bigger picture. It's not all about here. John describes another Palm Sunday that's coming yet. And he says it in Revelation 7 verse 9. It says this, after this, he says, I saw a vast crowd. He's talking about what's well, something happening in heaven. You know, it's similar to that crowd at Jerusalem's gate. But he says, this one's different. He says, I saw a vast crowd too great to count because lots of us are going to be there. He says, from every nation, every tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, They were clothed in white robes. They held palm branches in their hands. They were shouting with a great roar. Salvation uh, comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, knowing that they had seen, they had seen all that they hoped and believed for. They were experiencing it for eternity. That same thought, 
Those who try and hold on to all the boxes in life, you're going to lose it because we all are. But those who don't care as much about this and get their eyes focused on what's coming in the future, and they're going to have eternal life then, but they're going to have peace now. That gift is open for you this morning. If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never accepted his invitation to come follow him, you can do that this morning. You can do that right now to simply say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. And maybe you have that question, well, what's God done for me lately? Or what's God going to do for me? Can I just remind you that maybe we just need to look back at what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross. We're celebrating it this Friday that he died and paid for all of our sins. Our mess ups, he made it right. Where we got it wrong, he made it right. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer death forever. What more does he have to do for us? What more does he have to do for us? So this morning, to the Jesus followers, keep your eyes on him 100% each and every day, and he'll carry you through. He'll carry you through. Build that relationship with your heavenly father. These are the moments and times because it's that type of faith, that type of trust that carries you through times like this, and it's the thing our world so desperately needs. So thank you for being that out in the world today and in your families and in your homes. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That we can put our lives in your hands so we can simply trust you with everything. God, if we trust you with our eternity, we should be able to trust you with our jobs and our health and our, and our lives and our families. Sometimes it's difficult, but thank you again for the reminder this morning that we just put our life in your hands put our trust in you. Lord, I thank you for this chance to do this time together. Pray a blessing on each of these amazing people being a part of this today. Lord, may they sense your presence around them and in them and experience your peace in a very real way today. Father, thank you for that. And thank you above all for sending your son for us, for paying the price we couldn't pay. Thank you, thank you, thank you for rescuing me. I love you. Can't wait to live today and the rest of this day with you. In your name and for your glory, I pray. Amen.